Good morning. It is February 14th, 2019. You are listening to the Pat McAfee Show 2.0. This is Ty Schmidt filling in for Pat, who is still on vacation in Hawaii. We'll be back to regularly scheduled programming come Tuesday, but we got another best of for you today. Also, happy Valentine's Day. If you got a significant other, hope you got something good lined up for today slash tonight. If you're single, that's unfortunate. You still got a couple hours to figure out what you're going to be doing tonight. If not, remember, there's always next year, you know? Don't put all your chips into one basket this year. Before we get into today's show, we got some business to take care of. First and foremost, we'd like to thank our friends at SeatGeek, who are the presenting sponsor of the Pat McAfee Show. SeatGeek is the greatest ticket buying app on earth, bar none, because they scan for the best prices across several other ticket buying platforms. You're not getting catfished. What you see is what you get. And you're not just going to a live event either. Whenever you're going through SeatGeek, you know, you're creating a story or you're you're creating a memory that you're going to be able to hold on to for the rest of your life. Whether you want to go to a hockey game, a Broadway show, a comedy show, NBA, you name it, SeatGeek's got the hookup and they're going to get you the best seats available. The best part right now, if you use our promo code PAT, that's P-A-T, at SeatGeek, you're going to get $10 off your first ticket purchase. That's promo code PAT for $10 off your first purchase at SeatGeek. You can also try promo code McAfee and maybe get $20 off your first purchase. Don't know if that's still live, but it's not going to kill you to try. SeatGeek, go see something live with them. You can be alive, but are you living? Go live and see something live with our friends at SeatGeek. I'd also like to uh, take a moment to talk about something that's uh, very important in everyone's lives, and that's getting a good night's rest. Our friends at Lisa have got you covered, folks. All right, Everybody has the right to rest, and the key to getting your best rest is the right mattress. Meet Lisa with two awesome mattresses, accessories, and bases for better, deeper rest. The all-foam Lisa mattress is new and improved, featuring cooling LSA 200 foam for enhanced pressure relief for side sleepers. I'm a side sleeper. That LSA 200 foam works wonders throughout the night. Or you could check out the rest on uh, Sapira Hybrid Mattress. It's the perfect combination of foam and spring for pressure relief and edge-to-edge support. I know a lot of people who love that one as well. I believe Diggs has the Sapira Mattress. Lisa's mission is to provide a better night's sleep for everybody. Not just me, not just you, everybody. From day one, Lisa set out to create a company with heart. That's why they donate one mattress for every 10 they sell through organizations that work in causes like foster care prevention. To date... They've donated more than 32,000 mattresses through more than 1,000 nonprofits. That's a lot of mattresses to a lot of people in need. That's incredible. Best part is right now, Lisa's got a massive President's Day sale. You're going to get 15% off any mattress for a limited time at lisa.com slash McAfee and use the promo code McAfee. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash McAfee, promo code McAfee. Look out for yourself, right? Get a good night's rest, and you're not getting any better night's rest than you are on a, on a Lisa mattress. I've got one. I can confirm that. Lisa's the best. We love them over here. All right. Let's get into today's show. we got a couple more interviews. Uh, like I mentioned last time, we've picked up some new listeners over the course of the last few months, so uh, I'm hoping that a couple of these shows are, are going to be new to some people. Uh, these are just some of my favorite interviews that we've done over the last six to eight months or so. 
Um, and we got we got a couple more good ones today. The the first one, one of my personal favorites. Um, I feel like you don't really hear this guy give interviews too often. He's so busy that um, just being able to kind of sit down and pick his brain was really it was incredible. Um, this guy has has been an advocate of Pats for a while now. Uh, he works at ESPN. He's been he's been doing what he can to to try to you know get Pat's foot in the door. He's a big fan of him. He loves what he does. Uh, obviously, we all love what he does here. He's the voice of college football. Uh, one of the most handsome men in America, ladies and gentlemen, Kirk Herbstreet. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me now is a man who's an absolutely legendary human on the television. He's the voice and face of college football, and it's a handsome face and a beautiful voice to be that. (laughs) This weekend, he's at the Penn State-Ohio State whiteout game. You can see him every Saturday morning on college game day delivering the goods about college football week in and week out. I met him for the first time at the ESPN College Football Awards whenever I was nominated for the Ray Guy Award. Ray Guy got it wrong, didn't give me the award, but the weekend was a blast. A true gentleman, a man's man, ladies and gentlemen, Kirk Herbstreit. What's up, big man? How you doing? I'm excellent. How are you, Kirk? Your life is awesome. It's so fun to watch you. Well, I appreciate it. I, I enjoy watching you as well. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate. I remember you actually playing in college. I know you had a brilliant NFL career, but you also obviously got it done very well in the good old days back in Morgantown, West Virginia. You guys were you guys were always good teams back then. We had a lot of fun. Pat and Steve Slayton, I rode their coattails to a lot of wins. <laughs> I walked out of there with an all-time point score leader, and, and then I just and, kind and, of- You know, if you think about it, man, Rich Rod was, I mean, I, I don't know if you're a fan or not, but he was ahead of the game with this whole up-tempo and wearing the different wristbands and being a crazy guy on the sideline. And He was one of the first guys to really make that style of offense go. And, um, you know, he did it, you know, with smaller schools and then as an offensive coordinator at Clemson. And, and then, of course, when, uh, when he had Pat White and Steve Slayton, I mean, that, that, was, that was about as good as it gets. But uh, I think a lot of people started to copy that offense uh, and, and what they were doing, and now we see it all over, the, all over the country every week. I think he would tell you that too, by the way. Just... <laughs> oh, I know he would. <laughs> uh, Kirk, I want to dig into you a little bit. So you were yeah. Ohio State starting quarterback your senior year. Your dad was also Ohio State Buckeye captain. So when, yeah. you, when you become 1996, you started doing this college game day thing, I yeah. believe. is for How yeah. hard is it to keep the bias out of it for being in Ohio? Because I know the Ohio State cult is a strong one. How hard is it for yeah. you week in and week out to do that? You know, man, it's weird for me because I, I've never really had a problem with that. I, I just, from day one, um, you know how you, you put, like, as I'm talking to you, I just took a break from – getting ready for the weekend and you put so much time into your preparation that when you call the game you just see two teams and you talk about the teams and last year was it a classic example we got down to the final four and who should be the final four and there was all the talk about it looks like it might come down to ohio state and alabama and alabama didn't even go to the sec championship game they lost to auburn how in the heck did they go in and Ohio State just, just won the Big Ten championship against Wisconsin, and, and they have to ask us, which always the tough spot, who should be the four teams? And the easy thing to say, being a former Ohio State guy, as he said, and captain, and my dad was a captain, 
my wife is a cheerleader at Ohio State, is to say Ohio State. And I've never really looked at it that way. I just, if it's Ohio State, then I would say it's Ohio State. And if it's not, based on what I think, then in that case, I said it was Alabama. I thought Alabama uh, had, had kind of hit some skids early with some injuries and then got better and better and better, despite not even making it to Atlanta. I thought they were a better team between Alabama and Ohio State. And so I said Alabama. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why it's not hard for me. I love Ohio State when I'm not on the air. My kids are brainwashed Buckeyes. We love the Buckeyes. <laughs> but, man, when I'm on the air, I, I, just, I just talk about objectively like whatever I think. That's because you're a professional, Kirk. Now, you just mentioned the, the Final Four or whatever, the playoff system. There for yeah. so long, the world, BCS, ESPN, even you guys on TV were talking about how a playoff would ruin college football. Now we're at a four-team playoff, and now everybody wants more teams into the playoff. Everybody wants more. <laughs> how, do, how does the college football world kind of solve this problem of their fans wanting more and more and more and more at all times? Well, you know, you were a player, and, and I think if you talk to the players, even during the BCS era, most of them would say that they would have wanted some kind of playoff yes. to be able to, to kind of find out who the, the best teams really were. The players wanted to play the games. Um, so, and and the, the, the kind of politics prevented that from happening. And then finally it just became so obvious that they had to do something that we finally got a 14 playoff. And you're right. I'm a guy that – I love regular season college football, like end of August all the way to early December. I'm all in every week. I'm an NFL fan, um, but I really don't get that way for the NFL until like week 13, week 14. You start seeing the teams. This team needs to win their last two. You know, maybe they win the tiebreaker, that kind of thing. But the urgency doesn't really hit me for the NFL till, till like November and December. And in college football, it's the entire season. And I've always been big on if we go to a playoff, I don't want college football to become college basketball. And I'm a diehard college basketball fan, but I really don't care until March Madness. Yep. Um, Duke can beat North Carolina, whatever. They're going to drop one spot in the rankings. Doesn't even matter until we get to the tournament. And I didn't want college football to become like that, and I still don't. So with that being said, I've always thought four would be plenty. But now after watching it for four years – I feel like maybe six or if you want to go to eight, as long as we can hold on to the regular season still being important and still being relevant, then uh, then I'm okay with expanding it to, to six or, or possibly eight teams. I, six, I think, would be ideal. But uh, if, if you went to eight, I, you know, I don't, I don't think we'd lose the regular season and, and the importance of it. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I honestly, I never really thought about it that way as college basketball doesn't really matter until March Madness in the conference tournaments. Sometimes you'll see a team make a run, but the regular season means right. absolutely nothing. But with that being said, I believe college football, the reason why the anticipation is high all year is because of the atmospheres, the environments that you get thrown. Yeah. into in the middle of college football is a much different ball game than the NFL. What's your favorite environment you got to experience that kind of went like, it made you go like, Oh shit, I did not expect this place to be like this. If that makes sense. Um, you know, an oh shit moment would be Missouri. Um, and you never, like I just said, Missouri and you're like, what? Yep. <laughs> but when Chase, when Chase Daniel was at Missouri, I'm, I'm telling you that that really surprised me. Just the campus itself, and and just the feel of it. I I, I wasn't expecting that. But my crazy, just I, I love going there. Place 
is actually where I'm going this weekend. Uh, Penn State, when it's a whiteout, and they're ranked in the top five or top ten in the country, and they're playing an opponent that's in the top five or top ten, I will challenge anybody anywhere other than maybe the Premier League over in Europe to find a better <laughs> sports atmosphere than what you'll see this weekend when, when Ohio State goes into Penn State. It's as good as there is, not just in college football, but in sports. See, there's your Ohio State bias right there. Not Ohio State. Not Ohio State. Not Ohio State. It's because Ohio State's there. We <laughs> <laughs> 9 a.m. in the morning. Those college kids yeah. are lit back there. Do you guys yeah. ever just take a moment, look around, and be like, you know what? I hope my kids never go to college. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. Those, 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 they, a lot of times, man, they spend the night in tents. Um, out around the set, so they get a good spot to be on TV. And um, yeah, they're they're I, I, I maybe when I was younger, I might might have kind of looked around and looked at the, you know how crazy everybody was. And at this point, Lee Corso told me a long time ago. He's eighty two or eighty three years old, and he told me when I first started, don't whatever you do, don't look back, don't look back. <laughs> <at the> people, <laughs> <you know? laughs> they're saying good things or bad things just keep looking forward but before we come on the air we you know everybody's yelling and holding up signs and acting crazy and you know we 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 love to you know be involved with the crowd as much as we can i mean that that, we have great fans and honestly i'm not just saying this our crowd at our show is almost like another person sitting at the set i've seen other studio shows try to mimic what, what we're fortunate to have on college game day and it's just different it just it feels almost like made for tv kind of crowd our crowd is is just as real and as authentic as you can hope for everywhere we go and so yeah we we uh we have a good time with them but yeah they're a lot of them are hammered without a doubt especially <laughs> when we spend the night there the wwe back in the day used to have signs up everywhere every single arena yeah. they went in there was signs and then obviously there's some people that ruin it right there's some people that put up terrible signs do you guys have somebody who's there just strictly looking for bad signs and then getting rid of them like the wwe has yeah i mean I'm, I'm, we have guys that try to look for things that that are above and beyond crazy that shouldn't probably be on tv but also, part of a, what we like to do is keeping some of those signs and some of the edgy signs that people might think that we're offended by and, and let people know we're not. It's okay. If you want to put something out there that, uh, you know, if you're cussing or saying something like that, then they'll probably take it down. But if you're, if you're trying to do something and you, you think it's a good one, you're probably going to see our security people not, not take it down. Um, most people have kind of figured it out. So they'll put like go lions on one side. And then as soon as we go on the air, they kind of flip the sign and it says whatever it is that, that they want, you know, want to say. So there's just so many signs. I'm talking thousands of signs. So it's very hard, I think for, for our, our guys to, you know, point out all the different signs that are offensive to, to possibly the viewers at home. Describe Lee Corso as a human, because as somebody that watches it, I'm worried he's going to die up there. And he is an electric human being who it sounds like yeah. you are very good friends with. What is it like to work with Lee Corso week in and week out for all these years as just a human who's 80 plus years old still doing yeah. it live TV? 
Yeah, for, first I'll tell you this. I, I have been with him for 23 years, and um, he's not just 80, 82, or 83 years old. You know, the, the thing to remember when, when you watch him is he, the guy had a stroke about, I want to say, eight or nine years ago. And when he had the stroke, I don't know if you guys know of anybody, relative or friends or anybody that's ever had a stroke, but sometimes it affects your speech. And in his case, it did. Like, he could barely speak after he had his stroke. And so it happened in the spring. So he had all summer and early part of the fall to try to get ready to go on TV to be able to try to talk. And he was in all kind of speech therapy and he worked his way through it. And, and it's still, if you ever watch our show, you can still see sometimes it affects him. People think, you know, take shots and oh, he's so old, look at how he's talking. But honestly, if you hung out with Lee, you would swear he's 82, but he's playing like 60. Like he is <laughs> un believable as far as if he didn't have a stroke uh the shape he is in uh, you know he's walking around these airports carrying his own bags like just i mean think about your grandparents or, or people you know that are in their mid-70s get up to be the latter part of the 70s early 80s i mean it's incredible to see what he does and, and how he's able to kind of maintain himself uh with all the travel that we do and the, the work that we put in so yeah, but at the end of the day, man, he's one of the funniest guys. You would love him. You, know, you, you and him, you guys, you should have him on your show because you would absolutely love his energy, his personality, and uh, he's he's the king, man. He, I mean, in his prime, there's nobody better at, at zingers and uh, impromptu thoughts and taking shots at people. I mean, he he's he's legendary, you know, and and one of the best to be one of the best entertainers in television we've ever had. Oh, that's beautiful. And speaking of your travel you just mentioned there, you'll do game day in the morning, and then you're calling a game on the other side of the country. What is your weekly schedule? Do you take Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and just kind of relax to, to kind of gear up for the weekend? What is the Kirk Herb now, so, so, so I have I have four boys, and three of them, uh, I live in Nashville, and three of them play high school football. Uh, two, I have two that are seniors and one a sophomore. And so I told ESPN for, for years when my boys were, were playing like sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I said, guys, if, if they ever get to a point where they're actually playing on Friday night, uh, it's going to be hard for me not to be there. So I just want to plant that seed now three or four years out. And sure enough, you know, around their junior years, um, they started to play. And, and so what I do is I typically uh, prepare, you know, Sunday and Monday is just kind of like, I watch your, your, your stuff a lot of times on Sundays because I, I need a good laugh. And I, honestly, I love what you do with, with that stuff. I appreciate um, it. And it, it gives a totally different way of watching NFL games. So I, I kind of hang out. I'm kind of in and out of NFL games. And then Monday's prep day, phone calls, all that. And then do the same thing Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Thursday, I leave and, and go to wherever I'm going uh, to call the game. And um, I, I'll go there, go to practice hang out there with the coaches and players, go Friday meetings with, with uh, uh, college game day. We tape two or three segments for sports center and different things. And then usually around three o'clock I'll fly back to Nashville and I'll go uh, to my boys game on Friday night. And then as soon as their game's over, I'll fly back to wherever game day is. And then I'll do game day in the morning. And then sometimes I'll stay if game day and the game I'm calling are in the same location, but many times uh, after game day, I'll go quickly to an FBO and I'll have to fly to wherever, uh, the Saturday night game is. And then, yeah. and then, you know, just continue to repeat that week after week. 
You're a rock star. Dad of the year, Kurt. Dad of the year. You don't look tired at all on Saturday morning. You got to be dead. You got to be dead. No, man, I'll tell you, when you have boys, if you, if you have uh, boys when they get older and, and they're playing on Friday nights, um, you just it's just once in a lifetime. You, 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 it's different because they, I, I, there are weeks where I can't, like last week we were in Eugene, Oregon, and I can't get all the way back. So they luckily they, they do have, you know, their, their school has a, a TV station where it allows you to at least watch the, the game online. Um, but it's different from actually being there. And, you know, if your kids have a big moment and you're not there, it's like, that sucks. You know, I wish I would have been there. So it's, it's, it's a big sacrifice, but uh, I don't know. I just, I just feel like I, I got to be there. So I'll do whatever it takes to be there. Well, the college football world and the fans everywhere appreciate you, man. Your brain is an incredible one. You're so smooth at calling games. You're so smooth. You have, like, your third or fourth pairing in the booth right now with you. How do you get so well adjusted <laughs> to the guy that you're calling games with? Because it, it's it's something that you are very good at. And not, after watching, and I know that this is somebody you work with, so I can't say it, but watching a football game that happens on the nights of Mondays. It's tough to hear people call those games. So listening to you transition with new color guys is ab- or play-by-play uh, -play guys is absolutely incredible. Do you have somebody you like in there the most, or how does that work? Do you guys hang out well, and have beers together? What, what is it? Yeah, it's honestly, and, and you'll, I think you'll see this as you continue to, to do different uh, broadcasting. To me, I'm, I'm a big advocate of finding time to hang out so if, if you know, if, in my case, I work with Mike Tarico, who I, I consider, you know, one of the best in the business. And that's who I broke in with. And I worked with Brent Musburger and, and Chris Fowler. I, I'm, I'm real big on building a natural chemistry or natural rapport with the guy that you're not faking it when you're on TV, but you can just kind of hang and, uh, you know, have a few beers on a, on a Friday night or Thursday night or whatever you're doing, go and have a nice meal and and just kind of getting to know the person over time and, and starting to build a, a, a very natural rapport like you would with, with anybody, you know, that you might become friends with. And I, and I really think that when, if you can do that, it has a way of transitioning on TV where you're not trying to be friendly with each other. You can just kind of, because of that time you spent together, you kind of naturally get there. So that's, that's my theory anyway. And, and I think if you can do that, Tough thing is if you're working with somebody and you can't you can't create that, then I think you're you're on TV and you're trying to portray that <clears throat> hey we, we get along and, and I think it's it's a lot tougher job if if you're in that position as opposed to just hanging out like like you know like you and I right now just sitting here talking about sports and having a good time. All right, I know you got to go. You're a very busy man. You're awesome to watch on TV in the morning, at night. Everything you're doing for your family is incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, hey, don't be pushing for that that goddamn NCAA game to come back so you can have another gig. Okay? <laughs> come on, man. we got to get that back. Yeah. We missed that That's game. Cool. I saw you, you know, pushing I'll that. I'll do it for free. I just wanted to come back. Mm -hmm. I, I, I miss playing that game. We used to put in so many hours. Didn't you play that when you were in college? No, I don't play video games, Kirk. I play real life. <laughs> I ain't a nerd, Kirk. I'm joking. Yes, everybody played that game. It was awesome. It was absolutely beautiful. O'Bannon or whatever kind of sent that all down. Ruined it. Yeah. 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 Financial fair style. <laughs> Anyways, ladies and gentlemen, the face and voice of college football. Thank you so much for joining us, Kirk. You're the man.
Yeah, man. Great talking to you. You too. Kirk Herbstreit. What a human. Thank you, boss. You got it, bud. Anytime. Keep up your great work. I didn't think it was possible for, for Kirk Herbstreit to be any more likable, but I pretty much changed my mind after we interviewed him. Just great guy, uh, more than willing to you know go a little longer than the time allotted. A guy like him, obviously his travel schedule, I mean, shit, he doesn't have 15 minutes where he's not, you know, ha- have some sort of requirement or needs to be doing something. So it, it was really awesome that he... He took the time to to sit down with us and and actually give you know a, a full. I mean, we we basically sat down with him for you know twenty five thirty minutes. Um, Herbie's the best. I'd love to see him and Pat eventually call a game together. I don't know if that'll actually happen, but having that guy on your side uh, at ESPN is is definitely a good thing for sure. Before we change gears and uh, get into the next interview here, I'd just like to know uh, anyone out there listening, you, you looking to hire for your business, maybe. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business. I'm pretty sure uh, three to four people in this office, you know, weren't weren't initially working here when we started. Now they're key cogs in the uh, the Pat McAfee Inc. machine. That's why it's so important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You can post a job on a job board and hope the right person will find your job. But think about it: how often do you hang out on job boards? got news for you. You're not hanging out on job boards. Don't leave finding someone great to chance when you can post your job to a place where people go every day to make connections, grow in their career, and discover job opportunities. And that's LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but 9 out of 10 members are open to new opportunities. Everybody's always looking for something bigger and better, okay? And with 70% of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn... Posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. You know, you don't got to worry about any scumbags coming in, you know, looking at your job board. You're getting the right people for the right job. I mean, it's, it's the best way to find the person who will help grow your business. And it's also why a new hire is made on LinkedIn every 10 seconds. So hurry to LinkedIn.com slash McAfee and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn dot com slash McAfee to get fifty dollars off your first job post. LinkedIn dot com slash McAfee. Terms and conditions may apply. Love LinkedIn. Love LinkedIn. I was using it a lot uh, before I came and worked for Pat. It's a great website. You know, I can guarantee if you're on LinkedIn, you're gonna find a job probably within the next three weeks to a month. Book it. Shout out LinkedIn. All right, this next guy I think surprised a lot of people. I'd seen the documentary, the uh, the thirty for thirty that they did on him. I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in there that was just kind of canned answers, you know, very rehearsed. And um, I just I don't think you got the full side of the story from this guy because he wasn't as involved in the making of the documentary. But he came in here with us and basically just put everything out on the table, um, where he went wrong. You know, it wasn't wasn't shying away from from all the mistakes he's made in his past was very forthright on those and and basically is in a position now where he just wants to make sure that kids who are similar to him growing up aren't going to go down that same path we covered his career in college post-college some of his legal troubles and then what he's doing now if you haven't heard this interview yet i'm really excited for you to listen to it if you have uh, I've listened to it a couple times now. Honestly, it feels like it gets better each and every time. 
We covered just about anything that you would want to know. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Ohio State University, Maurice Claret. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now is a man from Youngstown, Ohio. He was a running back for the Ohio State Buckeyes and led them to a national championship. Some controversies followed that led to him leaving the Ohio State Buckeyes. His life story is one that I cannot wait to dive into. An incredibly talented human who's been through a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find him on the Business and Biceps podcast with Corey Gregory and John Fosco. He runs the Red Zone, a mental health and drug recovery agency, Maurice Claret. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty cool intro. Hey, I appreciate you, Maurice. And and I don't want to I don't want to take much of your time here. I'd love to dig right in because you have one of the most fascinating stories in the history of football. And I think your story does a lot of uh, motivating and inspiring to people about co- overcoming adversity and stuff like that. So let's get into it. You go to Ohio State. You're being talked about as the greatest running back on earth. Is that some of the most precious times you've ever had in your entire life? Uh, so one, uh, most precious, uh, I would say, yes, uh, very notable, uh, I think for, for any kid, you know, when you, uh, when you're playing football to ultimately, you know, go to a premier college and have success, uh, you know, I think is, uh, is, is a goal that, that a lot of young guys have and, uh, to have went there and to, you know, just, uh, the teammates that were made, the practices that were had, the memories, uh, even though they were short lived. Uh, those things were uh, those things were were better than great. You know they were fantastic, and to uh, uh, to accomplish so much in high school, and then immediately to go to college and uh, within a 13 month span and to accomplish you know what we did in our college. You know uh, I wouldn't trade those memories for uh, for the world, and you know those things happened back in 2002 and three, and uh, you know still to this day, uh, no matter where I'm at around the country. Uh, we were, I mean, I'm able to uh, still talk about those and, and, and leave some impressions upon people uh, that are lasting. Buckeyes fans love you for what you did for them. With that being said, the 30, th- uh, 30 for 30 came out about you, and it seemed as if the AD wasn't the biggest fan of Maurice Claret, or he wasn't the biggest fan of possibly the situations that were happening. Is there bad blood there between you and Ohio State, or have bygones be bygones since then? No, uh, you know, just for the story, they made it, you know, for the national story, it came off like, you know, uh, I had a problem with Ohio State, but it was re- actually just me in a uh, in a tiff between the athletic director. And, you know, at the time, you got to take everything in context. At the, in the context, you know, uh, you know, he may have felt like he's got slighted from me. Uh, and you had two big egos that were basically going against each other. And you didn't know what culture, you didn't know what power. And you're doing a race, you know. I'm, I'm the inner city black kid who comes and makes this big splash on on TV, uh, and then I'm just being totally irresponsible with my power. And then you have uh, him who, who who's not going to be pushed around or or disrespected by this kid who who thinks he owns the university. And so uh, I think if we if we both had a chance to do it over again, uh, that we will do it or we would do it. Uh, and that's kind of uh, uh, where it was. But, you know, me and Ohio State, we've never directly had problems. It was just uh, a disagreement or a way of how we should do things at 18. But, you know, I was 18 years old, and, you know, I'm pretty sure if you take any 18-year-old uh, and you give him a tremendous amount of power uh, and a tremendous amount of uh, uh, just leverage over a city where you have more people saying uh, yes rather than no, 
uh, that, that that they may make the same mistakes. And so uh, everything is good between me and Ohio State. Now I don't make it down as much as I would like to uh, be at that, you know, just the distance from the university is about 40 minutes from my house, 30 or 40 minutes from my house. Uh, but I usually make it to a couple games a season. And, uh, and I'm just happy to see that, you know, those young guys are off doing a great thing this season. I don't want to dive into the negative, but I feel like it's a huge part of your story and a huge reason why you're so inspiring. Your exit from Ohio State revolved around a lot of situations. There were death threats I heard being involved. There was a lot of there was possible money involved. There was arrest. There was a murder, I believe, involved. What is everything? What is your side of kind of the events that unfoiled there for you in Ohio State's uh, kind of kind of interesting uh, separation? Oh, I mean, it was uh, the 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 irony. Like I said, everything was dramatized on TV. Um, my my reasoning for getting left or leaving Ohio State was something like uh, you know a fifty dollar check. Uh, all of the the lies uh, that I told uh, the NCAA. So for every lie that I told them that they went to go and investigate, you know, they, they gave me uh, a sanction for, and I had about like 125 sanctions and they were asking me uh, endless amounts of uh, questions about, you know, teammates and things that may have taken place. Uh, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have a, a, uh, a situation where I was taking tens and, and not even a thousand dollars. I didn't, I don't have a situation where I was taking uh, thousands of dollars from boosters and cars from everywhere. Uh, I, I used uh, a car from a, 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 a used car dealership. Uh, the car had got broken into it in the process of the car getting broken into. I reported the car being broken into on campus. And uh, from there, uh, that was the extent of uh, of the car situation. And that happened like in April of 2000, or 2003. Uh, later on that year, they came back and they said, you know, how, how could you as a college student have, you know, $800 and in, 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 uh, three or 400 CDs, you know, those CDs that used to be back in uh, back in the day in those big bookcases, you know, how could you have those things? And I said, well, those things weren't mine. They were actually in the car uh, that I used from the dealership because the car had recently got repoed and the dealer kind of let me use the car uh, because it was a cool-looking vehicle at the time. And that raised so much suspicion as if these were my items. And literally, if you look, if you go back and look into the text, you know, all this stuff is uh, – easy to get your hands on as public information. Uh, I didn't get suspended for anything like that. It was like a, a $50 check I had received, 40 or 50 bucks I had received from a gentleman to come to a kid's party, uh, lying to the NCAA about my whereabouts and where I lived at. You know, I lived in my aunt's condo, uh, and I thought that that was illegal at the time, but I lied to him about where I was living at and just not being forthcoming about everything that they asked me for is essentially why I got suspended. And uh, the, the, the turn came from this. Uh, most people don't realize that when you do get suspended, your your university has to recommend a sanction. And the and the crazy part about it is that the NCAA uh, said that they would have been fine with three or four games, but the the university actually uh, uh, recommended the entire season or just suspend me indefinitely. And that's where uh, the bad blood became in with, uh, with me and Andy Geiger because. Uh, he had an opportunity to say, hey, I'll sit you out three or four games. The NCAA uh, would have been totally fine with that because it wasn't like, you know, I, I accept 50 grand from a booster. They were like, hey, this guy just lying a bunch. Let's just put him on a recorrective action plan. Uh, excuse me, uh, you know, slap him on the wrist or do something like that and get, get him back into the game. Uh, but the university uh, wanted to make a bigger statement. And the bigger statement was made because they knew they had Jim O'Brien, who was the uh, basketball coach at the time, 
uh, getting ready to get suspended, so they wanted to act like they were harsh on the stuff. And so Jim O'Brien, who's the basketball coach, and Andy Geiger, they're real good friends. And so, you know, let's oh. penalize hard to, uh, to Maurice Perrette for the disrespect he's given, and let's uh, lay a light on uh, on Jim O'Brien, uh, the basketball coach. So there's a lot of politics, a lot of stuff that I ended up filing out uh, after the fact, but, you know, that's, that's water under the bridge. But I just gave you the story uh, just because, you know, you know, you asked, hopefully it wasn't too much. It was it was amazing, Maury. I just learned so much right there that I never knew before. Because the thought of yeah. the thought of the Gustapo NCAA finding down a sanction for every lie an eighteen year old tells them, who's straight out of the streets of uh, Youngstown, who's finally getting a chase in the limelight. The, the adults didn't seem to act like the adults in this particular situation. They seemed to like they acted a lot more like childs or children instead. Here, here, here we go. I give you I give you another situation that was comical, right? So uh I had a booster in high school, a gentleman uh who was a booster club of a high school friend, or, or he's a booster club of ours, he's a, a friend of the program. Uh he ended up getting me a cell phone my junior year in high school, right? And every month that he paid the bill, that was a different infraction. So instead of just saying, Hey, you use a cell phone and it was illegal to have a cell phone in high school, every month that the bill was paid, uh these people gave me an infraction. So uh, if you if you can round up, you know maybe thirty six months. That was thirty six of the hundred and twenty five infractions. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so you know when you look into this, if you go look at other people's suspensions that were highly notable, and they got like a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, when you when you just shake everything out, you know these facts aren't hard to find. When you shake everything out, this was like this was not um, uh, this was not like some big NCAA scandal where you know I had piles of money. Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It just wasn't like that. This more had to do with uh, uh, Jim Brown versus Andy Geiger and Maurice Claret uh, being uh, the person who disrespected Andy Geiger and said, hey, you know, these guys lied about sending me home. So this was a pissing match. But it, uh, but nonetheless, a lot oh. was learned from it. You know, uh, a lot that I would, you know, I wish I didn't have to go through, but nonetheless, a lot was learned from it, and I'm a better person because of it. That's all I can say. They're fucking 18 years old, though, at a time. I mean, so they fuck you over. You get suspended for a year. That kind of <laughs> turns your life into a complete different momentum than it was at. You're at Ohio State, leading them to a national championship. I'm assuming the thought is, I'm going to grind in this offseason. I'm going to keep it going. Hopefully, NFL hopes with how everybody's talking, and instead, your life goes in a complete opposite direction. Am I correct? Yeah, so, you know, I got suspended, and uh, this was probably uh, the biggest time, and, and, you know, from being just a football player, right, uh, you know, you have stress with performance, but uh, it's easy. You know, if you want to get better in the weight room, you go lift some weights. If you want to get better from a speed agility standpoint, you know, you go and, you know, run through some ropes or, or lift more weights or do whatever you think you can do uh, to, best, to better become a better athlete. What actually happened was uh, I've never dealt with personal stress, right? And so when I was dejected from the uh, the actual university, and I was kind of like put on the sideline per se, uh, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know what to do with all that time, and in dealing with all of that anxiety, uh, what I didn't realize is that I found uh, the, the the mood changer uh, back in the bars. You know, back drinking, back drugging, uh, back smoking, and you know all this stuff just wasn't uh, a part of my program prior to going to Ohio State, right? I thought that I was going to be like the next golden child and go with a couple of Heisman trophies and, you know, work my ass off and eventually, you know, become, you know, become who I want to become. Uh, but that's not kind of how things played out. And uh, what eventually happened was, like, you know, I was just so stressed out. 
and so confused and so, you know, fucked up from the moment just to be blank, blunt with you, uh, just smoking weed and popping pills and drinking and, and having a ton of sex is what actually felt better, you know. But when I look back on it, uh, I wasn't doing nothing but just trying to alter my mood and, and, and escape actually, you know, what was going on. And so, you know, there, there's a few things people can't teach you. Uh, and being famous is one of them, you know what I'm saying? Nobody tells you how to uh, steward the fame that you uh, that you receive when you're either a professional athlete or a collegiate athlete, and, and chances are if you uh, you don't have a good support system, you know, when, when a huge adversity moment hits you, uh, you'll kind of stay in the same situation and be fucked. And, and literally, I kind of isolated myself, you know, uh, the more success I've seen guys have on the field, it felt like life was passing me by. And, uh, and eventually I just kind of like isolated myself and, you know, drinking and drugging became a thing. And uh, I just kind of le- like left away from the world. You know, I went out to uh, Southern California. I really thought that uh, hooking up with Jim Brown and going to, um, excuse me, uh, L.A., you know, at the time he had a, uh, a program called American where he was helping guys uh, transition from prison. I thought like just being around that vibe would help. Uh, but when I got to L.A., it was a completely different culture. You can drink and drug all day and nobody says shit. And so when I got out there, uh, it was just uh, it was it was more of the same stuff that I was doing in Ohio. And, uh, you know, uh, when, when nobody's kind of like there to check you or hold you accountable, uh, you can become self-destructive and not even know it. And kind of that's what happened. And uh, eventually, you know, everything kind of caught up to myself with uh, going to the combine. I went to the combine and I thought like wholeheartedly. I was like, man, I'll go to this combine and perform very well. And, and, and I'll kind of recorrect everything, but uh, just the abuse from the uh, prescription pills, the partying, and the kind of fucking around, everything had came to a head, and uh, and, it's, and eventually uh, things just kind of went from went downhill from there. Were you running? Were you uh, selling drugs and shit like that, or did I hear that wrong? No, oh, yeah. So when I was done with football, I didn't have a way to uh, take care of myself, and so I literally said, you know, what am I going to do to take care of myself? And I just got back into the streets, and so. Uh, just like any other guy, you know, who, who's participating in street activity, you know, in between selling dope and selling marijuana, uh, it was just kind of like my thing to do. You know, it's kind of how I took care of myself. You know, when you look back on it, you know, uh, and, and I just want to mention it just because your platform is so huge. You know, oftentimes with these young guys, we go to these universities and we actually think that we're beating the system uh, by uh, uh, by, by going to these bullshit classes. You know, like when I was at Ohio State, I took, you know, officiating golf, officiating softball, independent studies and women's studies. And uh, in the time, in that time capsule, you think it's a joke. You think that you're beating the system. Uh, but when the football is no longer an option and you can't physically play and uh, uh, that university isn't part of your life, you know, when you've got kids and responsibilities and you have all of this other stuff, uh, that is uh, that that are real things in your life. You start to realize that you weren't taught shit. That you were just basically pushed through a system and used for athletic ability. You know, a lot of these guys, including myself, come from failing school districts. And I just think there's a responsibility that the university should take. That you know, even if we're not going to get you uh, the greatest of scholarships from here, if you can't academically perform, we should at least take an initiative to uh, raise your current level of uh, reading, literacy, uh, uh, mathematics, and everything else. And so that was just uh, my, my two cents on this. So when it happened, you know, I just turned back into the same character I was, you know, before football started. Uh, and eventually, you know, what was I doing before I got into football? I was into crimes and, and all the stupid shit like young kids. And football kind of saved my life. But once football uh, uh, didn't factor into my life anymore, I wasn't able to play. I turned back to the same kid, you know, just a big-ass kid who can play football, uh, who thought that, you know, just being a gangster was more important than growing the fuck up. And, and that's and that's it in a nutshell. If that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's 
at West Virginia, we had a lot of guys who couldn't even read, but they were there. And it was just a situation where you really do watch the university just use them for their athletic ability. Now, granted, they're getting a lot out of it too, right? A potential opportunity to get out of the streets, move up, move on, potentially make the NFL and all that shit. But if it fails, there's not a lot to fall back on whenever your degree is in athletic coaching education. There's not really much you can do. So I see that all the time, and I respect you coming out and speaking about it. Let's get back to did you work for a gang? Were you being by yourself? Did you try to build your own empire? No, no, no. I, I was literally by myself. You know, I ran with guys in my neighborhood. Uh, I come from Youngstown. We don't have uh, gangs. Are not super prominent. Guys are 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 more um, uh, geographically. They are. If you're from the south side, you you know tend to hang with guys from the south side of your neighborhood, or north side, or east side, or west side, or wherever you have it. So it was just pretty much the activity amongst me and the guys in my neighborhood. Too many Italians there, too. You got a lot of Italians there. <laughs> yeah, yes, we, we, we do have a. Uh, it wasn't but a bunch of Italians, but we do have a, a bunch of Italians uh, in a rich Italian culture uh, within the city of Youngstown. Too many, man. I'm from Pittsburgh. There's too many fucking Italians. You're, there's four. Oh, so, so you're right next door. Yeah, you're right next door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Italians. Uh, so now I see you. You do a speaking circuit. Uh, you're out there basically telling your story, and I, I assume that's to inspire and to motivate others uh, that they can overcome adversity as well. Uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? How can people book you if they want you to come talk? Your story is incredible, and you coming out on the other side of this as professional and clean as you are is very remarkable. I hope you know that. Yeah, so uh, I mean, most, of, most of my speaking engagements are booked at mauriceclaretonline.com. Uh, I do three things. Speaking is probably the least of what I do, but it's probably the most visible. Uh, and so uh, I do speaking engagements. I've spoken probably the over 400 times to uh, different universities, uh, businesses, uh, whatever whatever you can name. I've probably spoken all, at, on these different platforms and at these different venues. Uh, but everything is booked through, uh, um, excuse me, uh, mauriceclaretonline.com. Uh, also, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the other bigger things I do is uh, business and biceps with uh, Corey and John Fosco. Uh, that is uh, one of the things that I think this, uh, I, I call it like my therapeutic platform. Uh, I, I love those dudes and what we're able to do on a weekly basis. And I also uh, run the Red Zone. The Red Zone, uh, we're a mental health and recovery agency for adults and adolescents. Uh, I probably employ about 150 people now. Uh, we're uh, awesome. uh, both in the city of Youngstown, also Columbus, where I live at. Uh, I travel back and forth uh, running uh, both offices and places, and uh, a lot of what was learned either through uh, mental health, I call it mental wellness, uh, the importance of mental wellness and, and people being mentally fit and well and understanding that is a thing just as much as we understand that physical fitness is a thing. And, you know, if you want a bigger chest and bigger triceps, there's many different platforms uh, that you can go and find that. But uh, uh, understanding that mental wellness and your mental fitness uh, to endure all the stresses and traumas and, and, and situations of life, that those are things and, and ultimately neglecting my mental health is what kind of put me in a downward spiral for 10 years. And I'm using a platform when I go and speak to people uh, and tell my story I'm talking about and raising awareness and giving education that these are things. But be it through be personally speaking, the platform, the podcast, 
or the, uh, the, the, the technical part uh, with our facility with social workers and counselors and everything. I love uh, working with those people uh, because, you know, we, we directly tie into what's going on inside the country. You see a lot of people uh, going through personal shit, be it trauma, be it stress, be it, be it everything through this opioid epidemic and, and relating uh, your mental wellness or your mental fitness or your mental condition uh, and the linkage or the correlation to it uh, is highly important. I just try to use my story uh, to inspire, to motivate, and to encourage. That's fucking awesome, Maurice. You're a hell of a human, brother. I hope you know that from the streets of Youngstown to what you're doing now is absolutely incredible. I I, I do hope you know that you are inspiring, encouraging, and motivating humans on a regular basis. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and chit-chat. Quick question, though. I don't want to bring it back up. At any point, did you think you were the next Pablo Escobar or anything when you were selling drugs? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't just like this. So, so I think just like everything else, I think every kid, uh, even when they're doing uh, uh, illegal activity, you know what I'm saying, I think that every kid wants to uh, have success uh, and, and they want to be the best at what they're doing. And I'll say this, just to, just to make it known, because, uh, you know, some people, this is the Internet world, they take things out of context. It's not nothing that I, I, I promote, you know what I'm saying? Uh, if I can do it all over again, I probably wouldn't do uh, most of the stupid shit that I've done. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to come out on the other side because, you know, fuck, I could have been dead. I could be in jail for a lifetime. I couldn't be on this platform talking to you. And, uh, and, and just being here, being healthy, being a sound mind. Uh, and being able to speak, you know, from where I'm at right now is, is a blessing. And so I appreciate the opportunity, my brother. Uh, it's cool. Like, I had no clue that, uh, that, that your platform was as huge as it was uh, just because I wasn't just dialed into the Internet. Even though I'm on the Internet all the time, I wasn't just <laughs> dialed in. But it's cool to see you transition and take uh, what you've done uh, to different heights just being a fellow football alum. Well, I appreciate that, and not a lot of people know that I'm a monster, Maurice. It's just uh, I just live out here. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you so much, man. MauriceClaretteOnline.com, Business and Biceps Podcast is a very good one, and what you're doing with the Red Zone is incredible. Thank you so much for opening up here, and it's nice to know that you do have that elite mindset that no matter what you do, you want to become the best. I respect that so much. Ladies and gentlemen, an absolute legend of a human, a man that's going to leave a lot more good than any of the small negative he has done in this world, Maurice Claret. Thank you so much, Maurice. Thank you, my brother. Hey, cheers, man. Take care. All right, thank you. Unbelievable interview. When we first got this thing lined up, um, you hear a name like Claret, and you kind of just assume he's been asked the same questions over and over and over. I didn't know how deep he was going to go into everything, but he, I mean, he was more than willing with Pat, you know, Hey, let's talk about your criminal past. And he, he went right, right into it. Didn't shy away. Uh, he's obviously not too proud of some of the things that he did, but you can tell that now he's on, he's on that path back upward. Um, I mean, he's a guy who the NCAA failed him. They just did, you know, he got screwed over big time, uh, you could argue in the in the moment there ruined his life probably. I mean, kind of robbed him at a a chance of having a successful NFL career. Granted, you know he didn't help himself out as much, but it's it's really awesome seeing a guy like that kind of be able to look back on his career and and notice that all those bumps and those like trials and tribulations they got him to where he's at to now. And and I'm pretty sure he, he loves what he's doing. He's happy with his life. You know, he he wouldn't trade anything that he has now for for the opportunity to go put the pads back on. So uh, thanks to Maurice Claret Again, that was incredible interview. Before we get into this last interview, uh, I'd like to give you guys all the chance to make a little money, okay? I mean, that's, you know, everyone's trying to make a little money. And you can do that 
with our friends at Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. You heard me, commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You, know, you don't got to be down on Wall Street to be trading. You can do it through Robinhood. Very easy. Four taps. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular, to kind of give you an idea of uh, what's hot in the streets right now. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of the Pat McAfee Show 2.0, our show, a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. All you got to do is go sign up at McAfee.RobinHood.com. That's McAfee, M-C-A-F-E-E dot Robinhood dot com. Shout out Robinhood. All right, the last one we got here, probably my favorite interview we've done since the rebrand. He was one of Pat's teammates. He's George Kittle's life coach. He's an American badass, and he's hilarious. Um, This guy's just the best. So without further ado, to close this one out, ladies and gentlemen, American hero, Pat Anger. What's up, man? Hey, Pat. Sorry, I was yelling at somebody there in the background. Don't you ever, don't you ever apologize to me, all right? You understand? Hey, listen, I don't need you wasting any of your good shit right now, okay? Just wait for a second. Oh, fuck. I'm looking at a fucking tax return. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> Stop. You're a, life, you're a life coach now. It's a big day. It is. It's a big deal. You know, my, uh, my salary just increased quite, quite a bit, so I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> All right, let's get to it. You ready? Lady. Yeah, man. You can't see. I was about to give you an intro right there, and you just stuck. You got any pants on? I have pants on, yeah. Where are you? Are you in your house, in your room? Where are you? No, I'm at work. Where? I'm working a, hard, dude. In a All bank? All day long. You're in a bank right now? Yeah, man. I'm in a, bank. a credit union. Don't, don't get us confused with those, those pesky, slimy banks. We're a credit union. We're for the people here. Okay. Do you have a button down on and like khakis on? That's what I'm imagining. No, I got jeans and a like a polo pullover type deal. Well, I guess it's out. Cats aren't out though. I guess it's out in Iowa, so that's probably what they they would like you at your credit union to be a little relatable. Put the jeans on. Yeah, I just got just got to cover up the tats, you know. I just don't want to scare anybody. <laughs> Those American tats, though, are something that is absolutely beautiful. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I was thinking about getting an American flag tattoo on my arm. I thought about you a lot. You should. Well, I think you have the best one. It ties in the best. You know, it, it looks like it's uh, it's very patriotic, but it also looks natural. You know, it feels natural too. My problem was I got like I just got a bunch of random tattoos, so then I had to like figure out how to blend them all together so I don't look super white trash, but I still kind of look a little bit white trash, so like I fit in at family reunions and stuff. Yeah, because you don't want to sell out your people. Absolutely, man. No, definitely not. Especially now you're a big corporate credit union guy. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you get a prison tat? Don't you have an at-home tattoo somewhere on you? 
I got a what? Didn't you get like a prison tat, like an at-home tattoo gun? Yeah, yeah. My brother got uh, my older uh, brother that's older than me. He got tattoo. He got a tattoo gun, and we he went to town. Went to town on the kitchen table one night. How old were you when that happened? Uh, I was like eight. <laughs> no, no, this was this was when I was in college. Was this in the first two? Was this in the first two years when you weren't playing? You were drinking too much, fighting people, and being an asshole, as George Kittle called it. Yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah, I was doing a lot of stuff. I, I, I didn't leave out to get not get don't get tattoos because you, know, you got to get tatted up. <laughs> I don't. George Kittle is tatted up, by the way. I think. I think he is. He's tatted. Yeah. He's tatted and he's spatted. White boy tatted. White boy spatted. Man, he's looking good. <sighs> you Iowa people are just a whole other breed of human. You know that. You mean that? That's I, a good thing, right? Yes. I, I don't think I've... And I talked about this about Mitch King, A.J. Eads, now this George Kittle character, Dallas Clark, Bob Sanders never talked to me. I don't think he talked to anybody, but it seems as if the Iowa, no. Iowa people are just good people. I appreciate that. You know, we, we're, we're, pretty, we're pretty down to earth. We're pretty much down for whatever. We're going to work hard. We're going to fight, you know, and uh, we like to drink our beer and we like to have a good time, but we also like to work hard and play hard, so... Yeah, I was a good spot, man. There's good people here. I, I tell you, Indiana is good too. You know, I, I I don't talk a lot about how much I enjoy my my time in Indy. I I really like the people there. It's a lot like Iowa. What did do you reflect um, fondly upon your time in the NFL? Um. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of good times there. I mean, I, I think about it quite a bit. Um, you know, especially when you know when you're at home watching the games and you're seeing guys that you know and that you played with, and yeah, man, it was it was it was fun. And we, you know, hell, we had a lot of good times. You know, on that field, especially you know slapping Snow's ass on uh, you know out there on punt and him getting all pissed. And, I feel like I feel like we did have a good time. Our team had a good rapport in there. Yeah, for, for for as much as we lost, we had a good time. <laughs> <laughs> What's the highlight of your NFL career? What'd you say? What's the highlight of your NFL career? Oh man, highlight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, pl- playing with you. Other than that, I respect that. Um, I don't know, man. I tell you what, we we had fun, and you know, first couple of years were really good, and uh, you know, I, I I played pretty well, and um, I try to remember those years, those those good times, and you know, the last couple of years kind of sucked as far as getting hurt and all that, and um, but you know, just playing hard and you know, and making plays and making tackles and celebrating and 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 dicking around, having a good time. Those were. Those are pretty good times, man. Do you remember whenever you told George Kittle the, that exact uh, life lesson? Because he, whenever he said it, I was like, oh, that sounds like it's straight out of Pat Anger's mouth. And he was like, yeah, Pat probably doesn't remember this. So it was at 6 a.m. It was a 15-second conversation I'm sure he'll never remember. Did you remember ever saying that? Or whenever he said that story the other day on the show, you are like, oh, good for me. <laughs> no, actually, you know what I do? Because um, I was back there. Um, you know, because I want to get in strength conditioning, so I was back there learning from Coach Doyle, and you know, I was in there on the lifts, and you know, walk around like I was all tough, and you know, you know, all that the strength conditioning stuff that you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came over and was like, "Hey, you know, what what changed for you?" And uh, yeah, because you know, I didn't know that. Hold on, my, though. By the way, I didn't know this that your first two years at Iowa, you weren't shit. I didn't know that. I figured you were a stud. No, I didn't start until like the third or fourth game my junior year. Really? So you were just a practice squad All-American there for a while? Pretty much. I was pretty much like a like a bar drinking All-American, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I always worked hard and I always did, you know, I always worked hard in the weight room and, and on the field and stuff. But, you know, I'd burn the candle at both ends and, you know, I wasn't good enough to where I could, 
you know, balance it both. And, um, you know, I had a lot of injuries. Yeah, so my first two years, Abdul Hodge and Chad Greenway were the linebackers. And, or my first year, Abdul Hodge and Chad Greenway, those guys went to the NFL. Those guys are awesome. Greenway played for like 100 years, made a billion tackles. And then the next two years, there were two other guys that were, were very good, Mike Humpel and Mike Klinkenberg. So, you know, I, I came in right away, and I'm like, well, hey, you know, I'm just going to hang out and have a good time, and I'll play, you know, when I'm a junior and, you know, all that stuff. So I didn't take it. I didn't prepare like I was a starter right away, like I should have. And, um, you know, it kind of, in the sophomore year, like everybody on the team got hurt um, except for me and a true freshman, and they're like, hey, and, and they were trying to figure out who they needed to put in, and instead of putting me in, they put in this true freshman, burned this true freshman's red shirt. So after that, I was going to quit. I was like, screw this, I'm going to join the military, kill a bunch of Taliban, and, you know, be done with it. And, um, you know, instead of, you know, instead of being like, you know, it's everybody else's fault, I'm not playing, you know, this is bullshit, I'm getting screwed over, I looked myself in the mirror and was like, hey, dumbass, why don't you fix what you're doing and, uh, you know, start doing things the right way, and that's kind of what I did, and yeah, that's kind of how I, you know, what I told George is like, you know, it sucks not playing, but you kind of got to look at yourself and look in the mirror and say, hey, you know, this is what I got to change. And for me, uh, I had to make Iowa football the most important thing in my life. And, and once I started doing that, that's when I started having success. Holy shit. Hey, that was a real statement you just said. That was a real life lesson you just delivered right there. You yeah. like that, man? Yeah. I'm a life coach now. I charge by the hour. <laughs> What's your rate? What do you got? <laughs> Are you getting into professional wrestling right now? I did. I did do a show um, up in up in Iowa City, and uh, I got I got talked into doing a tag team match. So I'll, I'll I'll be doing that. But I'm very fat, very out of shape, and I was in the ring for maybe you know a couple minutes, maybe like a minute at that show, and uh, I was exhausted. Did you? Awesome, awesome man. Did you get the win? Well, I just so an Iowa guy was in there, and he got jumped by the, these two guys, vicious and delicious, real dirty guys, oh. real cheap, bad guys. So I had to jump in the ring, and I'm like, "Hey, man, get off my boy!" Yeah. So they acted like they're leaving the ring, and then they jumped me. So I had oh. to whoop their ass. Of course you did, Pat. You're not just gonna take it standing, take it laying down from vicious and delicious. You're damn right. I'm not gonna just sit there and let these dudes try to mess with me. I'm gonna whoop their ass, and that's what I did. We tossed them out of the ring, and now they, now they got a little tag team match, and. You know, they're going to get the boot to them because I whooped them. I was going on, I was like on four years of Bush Light. Now I'm on two weeks of clean eating. They're pretty screwed. <laughs> oh. What if you become a professional wrestler? What if you fall in love with what you're about to do with Vicious and Delicious? And all of a sudden, this is like you're the new Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> Uh, I tell you what, I think I got about one match in me and I'm good. Those guys, those guys work hard. Their travel schedule is ridiculous. Um, I, I don't know if I got it in me. And, and then I, they, you can't swear, which is hard, obviously. I don't know how they do that. I don't know how when you're announcing. I don't know how you don't swear all the time. I, we, I'll tell you what. They, we have like seven rehearsals before that show starts, and they try to get it all out of me before it even starts. <laughs> and then when it goes live, there's somebody in my ear that's like, remember – this is a family show. And then it's like, we're on. It's like, it's, it's a running, it's almost a running joke. Like, am I going to drop a fuck on the WWE network? It's a wild scene. Uh, it's a wild, there's a lot of money in it though. I think you'd be a good character. It'd, it'd be fun, man. It, it would definitely be a good time. But yeah, I mean, you're like me, like we grew up watching that stuff. We grew up loving it. And, and to even just be in the ring just for a little bit 
like is like a dream. You know, even if it's yep. just a, you know, it's just a small show. That's like what we. I mean, that's like what we wanted to do growing up. I didn't want to be a football player. I wanted to be Hulk Hogan. You know, I mean, that's that's what we grew up watching. And uh, you know, it was kind of it was cool being in the ring because it brought me back to to playing. And it, you know, it brought back those same emotions, which which was which was pretty fun. You know. Look at you, a little nostalgia, a little glory days in there. By the way, oh, you're, yeah. you're 100% right. I did grow up wanting to be a professional wrestler. And I'm 1-0. I took on a guy named Warpig coming out of college before I got drafted down in, in an armory down in Charleston, West Virginia. I'm, I'm undefeated. Who's next? Don't know if you ever heard that tagline. It's my tagline in wrestling. <laughs> Who's next? I'm still undefeated. <laughs> Uh, you're taking on the world, man. I like it. I'm trying. I like it. I'm not a life coach, though, like you. Like, George Kittle might go on to be an all-pro, like a, a literally a consummate all-pro. Mm-hmm. And he says, he is on record of saying that he's excited that Travis Kelsey follows him. And then on the complete opposite side of that, the man that turned his complete life around was Pat Anger. Who just told him not to be an asshole. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's crazy. <laughs> Uh, what's crazy is I'm still an asshole and I still drink a lot and I don't I don't sleep very well. So I mean it's I don't know my life's a mess right now. Yeah, but you're retired and you're working in banks. Sorry, credit unions. Credit unions. Yeah, we're for the members here, Pat. We're not we're not all these filthy banks. We're here for the members. We're we're community. We're good people here. Do you watch any NFL at all on the weekends? I do. You know, this is this was the first year. So I'm not. I, I coached high school couple of years when I when I got out and this is the first year I'm not coaching and this is the first year like I really truly enjoyed just sitting down and watching football I'm really having a good time with it and it's a, it's a great year to watch it man those uh those running backs are unreal you know you got you know Hunt and, and Gurley and all those guys I mean those guys are just phenomenal it's been I've, I've probably had more fun watching football than I have you know my whole life because you know when you're playing it's a job you're, you're doing it all day and the last thing you want to do when you get home is freaking watch football but now just i i, I really truly enjoy it it's been it's been a really fun year do you just watch do you watch the linebackers heavily like are you from watching all those years of film do you just naturally draw yourself to watching the linebackers sometimes i'll catch myself like being like oh you know they're in this coverage or you know the offense is going to do this but for the most part because that, that gets exhausting and for the most part, I just like to watch the ball like every other idiot and just kind of like enjoy it. You know, I don't want to get too caught up, caught up into trying to decipher what the hell they're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jason Witten, Jason, good linebackers hey, out there. Jason Witten tries his best to decipher what's going on. That motherfucker ain't got no clue. I don't know how he was so good in the league. He got no clue what's going on in that field. Well, that's the, you know why he was really good because dudes like me were guarding him. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he was good. <laughs> I'd be looking, I'd be looking, looking back at Antoine Bethany and be like, "Hey, what am I supposed to do?" He'd be like, "Turn around, dumbass! You're supposed to guard that guy." I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> Jason Witten's telling these stories at his family about how he roasted this guy who is the leader in NFL sacks and currently the tag team champion of Iowa, Pat Anger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, it's a crazy life. It's a crazy ride, man. It's just, you know, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging people's life. I'm put. I'm, I'm the only people. My only clients are all pro tight ends. And <laughs> <laughs> you know? not to mention, I'm a tag team champ. I mean, it's a, it's a wild ride. And I'll get you the best rate you can get on a, on a mortgage. <laughs> are you gonna work forever? 
No, man. I'm, I'm just going to ride this life coach out for a while and then probably <laughs> just retire right off in the sunset, buy some six shooters, get a horse, and just go out west. <laughs> what, didn't you say you and your friends in the offseason took a trip to Tombstone or something? What, didn't you um, – you had a friend who was in the military, came back. You guys went out into, like, the desert and, like, shot a bunch of guns. Was that you? Am I am – I... Yeah. <laughs> so, so my, when my buddy would get back from Afghanistan, we, we got an RV um, up in Minnesota because that's where one of my other buddies was living. So we, we got an RV up in Minnesota. We drove all the way down to Tombstone, Arizona. And the last thing you probably want to do with a guy who's just getting back from war – is lock him in a uh, an RV for 24 hours with a bunch of booze. Uh, it was probably not the best idea, but it was a blast. We had a good time. Went down to Tombstone, met some cowboys, went shoot some guns, and uh, probably wanted from the police down there. But uh, you know, we got out alive. <laughs> That's absurd. People spend their off season getting married, traveling to the beach. <laughs> Pat Anger hopped in an RV in Minnesota with a veteran, drove to the desert. Shot a bunch of guns, drove back. <laughs> <laughs> we'd always, we'd end up, they'd always get us like, you know, we'd be leaving the bar at like two in the morning or whatever, and they'd, there'd always be some like, um, like psychic down there. So we'd pay them a bunch of money and they'd have us talk to like these old like cowboy spirits and stuff. It's a pretty wild ride. So we talked to, you ever watched that Tombstone movie? Doc Holliday. Doc, we talked to Doc. We talked to all those guys, man. It's pretty wild. It's pretty crazy. What did Doc have to say? Anything awesome? He respects us. He likes us. <laughs> and I think if we paid them a little bit more, he probably would respect us a little bit more as well. I have a question. Is this something I could go do? I can go to this old town in the middle of the desert and live like I live in the like in uh, a Western movie? Dude, you should go to Tombstone, man. It's awesome. Absolutely. Anybody can go to it. It's an old Western town, man. It's, it's awesome. What it's do you do? It's about an hour and a half away from, hour and a half away from Tucson. And it's like there's saloons and duels and shit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's guns getting shot off there all the time, which, which was also, you know, you got a guy who's just come back from war and there's <laughs> random guns shots going off. It's probably not the best idea either. Uh, all right. You get back to your taxes, man. When, uh, when are we going to Tombstone? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get the RV, bro. All right. Perfect. <laughs> hey, uh, who's going to Super Bowl? Oh, God, I don't know. I, I tell you what, I like the Rams. Like Chiefs, but I feel like I feel like the Pats are going to come on strong. They're probably going to end up winning it again. Did Tom Gronk's Brady get healthy? Did you ever get an interception on Tom Brady? No, but he threw a lot of touchdowns on me, which wasn't very nice. <laughs> you got to pick off Peyton Manning, though, right? Yeah, but that was, really wasn't anything I did. You know, it was uh, I think uh, Walden tackled him, and then it just kind of fell into my lap, and everybody's like, "Get down, you slow ass." <laughs> Did they make fun of you for being a Caucasian there or just slow us? No, no, they didn't. I mean, usually they do, but it was mainly just get down and don't ruin this game for us like you already almost have. Didn't Aaron Rodgers – you got a pick from Aaron Rodgers too, didn't you? No, I got a, I got a pick from um, – Aaron Rodgers scored a touchdown on me, but I got a pick, <laughs> I got a pick from uh, um, Hasselbeck. Oh, yes, and when he was at Tennessee, and then he joined the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a conversation there between you two or no? Like when Trendon Holiday, after my tackle against him, he came and worked out for the Colts like a few weeks later, 
And he wouldn't talk to me. Like, I wanted to go talk to him, and he wouldn't talk to me. He was like, stay off on his own. Hasselbeck. Really? Yeah, Hasselbeck. There was a Grigson, whenever he got there, he wiped out all the pictures of all, anything that happened before he got there, all the captain's pictures, everything like that. He put up only new pictures from new guys. And 15 out of the 20 pictures were either Charlie Whitehurst or Matt Hasselbeck getting tackled. <laughs> and they both ended up on our team. They both ended up on our team. And he would just have to walk by those photos every day. It was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. <laughs> No, you know Matt's a Matt's a very humble guy, and he's a good dude. He didn't, you know, we're we're fine. I mean, he's yeah, he threw a lot. He's of a good enough player, made enough money. I don't think he really cares that too, that much about it. How about he's on ESPN right now? Do you watch any of our former uh, teammates that are on the TV and judge them at all? Yeah, I think those guys do good, man. I think Matt does awesome. I wish he would he would be on more games. He does a good job, and, I, the, and then Reggie does good, does good on TV as well. Dan Arvlowski, unreal. He's awesome as well. I mean, those guys do it right. Did you ever talk to Reggie? When they need, to, need to get you on there. Yeah. Do you ever talk to Reggie? Yeah. I mean, I know he hates you. Um, he never like talked. Like most to everybody else. <laughs> Man, I don't understand why he never talked. Eight years. We're teammates for seven years. Not a one conversation. How's that happen? We're, well, weren't you weren't you stuck on a plane with yep. like next to him? Once he didn't say what he was two rows behind me. He was two rows behind me, and I was like woken up by him talking in such a jovial manner with this old white guy who I thought was his agent. Nope, he just met him. Just met him. Had this full conversation with the guy. I'm like, yeah, I've showered with you like four times. <laughs> no, Reg, Reggie was cool. He he talked to me mainly because I was I was hurt all the time. So we were in the oh, you know we were in the uh, training room together. So we you know. We're, we, you just didn't get hurt enough. You got to get get hurt more. That's how you. That's how you. You know, get it in with those guys. Reggie does well on TV, though. I think he's good on TV. He does a good job, man. He's a good dude. Freeney also good on TV. Freeney can talk. He's smooth. He is, and he's one of the best to ever play football too. Yeah, it helps. Jeff Saturday does a good job as well. Great eyes, Groot. beautiful smile, Groot. nice hair, skinny. He's much skinnier than you or I right now. Yeah, I'm pretty fat, man. Pretty fat. Are you really, or is this like you just being hard on yourself? I don't know. I mean, I try to keep my shirt on as much as I can. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, I'm probably like, I don't know, 235 or so, 240. I'm 240 right now as well. You're a beast. I'm trying, man. I'm trying to get in that when ring. I, when I, do you need a life coach or a <laughs> partner or, All right, or a mortgage? Listen, we're going to end this with a, a, life le- or a, a life coaching speech uh, from you to me, bub. You, you, you need the five pillars of life that I live by? Yep, absolutely. Right now, please. All right. Well, maybe four. Let me see what I can think of. Don't, don't crap where you eat. Okay, don't crap where I eat. Like dogs. Got it. Keep deodorant in your car. Deodorant in the car. You never know. Okay. Never trust a born-again Christian. Because <laughs> they did something that was bad to become Exactly. That. <laughs> don't ever trust them. <laughs> don't ever... Don't you ever let another man squirt water in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) You had a tweet two weeks ago. You said, the league is filled with guys that I like and then guys who let other men squirt water into their mouth. It was incredible. It's the worst, man. Just grab the water bottle like a real man. (laughs) And then here's the last one. I'd say um, don't get a neck tattoo unless you got $5 million. Neck tat, $5 million. Got it. Okay, so yep. we don't crap where you eat. Deodorant in the car. Um, never. I don't. I didn't write that one down. Four. Don't let guys squirt water in your mouth. Neck tattoo. Minimum five million dollars. Never trust a born again. Never trust a born again Christian. Yeah, yeah, that's a true. Let me write that one down. 
Because you remember that guy we had, the D lineman, the white D lineman that read the Bible every single day? Yeah, that was really scary looking. See, I had a different one. Yes, him. He was very scary, but he read the Bible literally in the hot tub, in the cold tub, in the training room, in the hotel, on the bus. I thought he made a deal with God. Like, if you get me out of this, I will be the most religious human of all time. (laughs) I thought for sure that happened. I'm like, this guy killed a guy. For sure he killed a guy. The complete opposite of Zibikowski, which is why me and Zibby were probably better friends. <laughs> Zibby, Zibby, what are, do you talk to him now? You know what? He came back. He came back into town. Uh, one of my buddies we talked about before, who you know had had a heart attack and ended up was in a coma for a while. We were in a parade, and, and Zibby called me. He's like, "Hey, I want to meet him." So he drove down from uh, Chicago uh, the morning of Fourth of July and came down just to shake his hand and say hello, and then drove back up. That's pretty cool, man. How is that's, Zibby? That's what got, that's, He's doing good, man. I think he's going to be boxing or do MMA or something. I think he's clean, right? I think he he had a whole 30 for 30 about how, or maybe not a 30 for 30. There was some story that came. First day I met him coming into training camp, sitting in the lobby of Anderson, it was probably 11.30 a.m. first day of training camp. He was on his third Guinness beer. (laughs) It was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in my entire life. I walked in. And he's like, oh, what's up? My name's Tom or whatever. I'm like, oh, what's up? My name's Pat. And he was like, there's two crumpled up Guinness cans next to him, and he's holding a third. I'm like, this is the first day of training camp. I'm like, this dude is on another fucking level. This guy is an animal. He was a good player, too. Yeah, he was good. I, you know, and I think like, he used to always go out like before games uh, when we were away and be like, hey, Pat, you want to come out there? I'm like, no, dude, I got enough problems. But, uh, you know, he's doing well, man. Tom's a good dude. He's a good guy and, you know, obviously he had, you know, some demons. But he's doing good, man. I'm happy for Tom. You got to get him on the show. I know. That's what I'm – in my head, that's what I'm thinking right now. I like Tom a lot. I like Zivikowski a a lot. I liked him a lot. Great dude. He was a lunatic, though, for sure. Like a full-on – he was an undefeated boxer whenever he was playing for the Colts. He had a game, yeah. he, he had a fight in college in Madison Square Garden when he was in Notre Dame. He went out there and knocked the guy out in the first round. Got like fifty grand from it as a college. He was a college football player. He was a Golden Gloves champ, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I think he's like an undefeated yeah. boxer, like an actual undefeated boxer, which would be he's badass. It'd be nice to have that just hanging in the mantle. <laughs> by the way, it's better to be an amateur tag team champ. I think that's just you that's kind of why. spinning that life coach thing for yourself there. I think you're just kind of. <laughs> All right, man. All right, Kid Rock. Hey, Kid Rock's still your favorite musician, or have you moved on? I like Kid Rock, Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, Waylon Jennings. What a man you are. Uh, Eric, I tell you what, Eric Church is solid. I don't know much Eric about Church Eric Church. Church. He's cool. Huh. Well, see you later, Pat. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, love you, brother. Have a good time, man. We'll see you. <laughs> you too. You're the best. See you, Pat. <laughs> see you, man. That's the most ridiculous conversation I think I've ever had in my entire life. That was good. How about him? Just they literally he gets back. We get back into OTAs or whatever. And it's kind of like the first day of school where everybody's like, "Oh, what you doing this summer? What you doing this summer?" Right. Oh, whenever he sat down next to me, I was like, "Yo, how was your break?" He was like, "I went down to this like this western town." <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "My friend got back from Afghanistan, so we got an RV. We went down to the desert. We shot a bunch of guns like we were in a western movie, and then we just had a good time." Of all like, the things, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> He's like, yeah, no big deal. I was like, no big deal. That's a hysterical. Pat Anger is the, he is an American. He is an American's American, that guy. 
American flag tattoos all over prison tats whenever he's in college. How about when he say he was eight years old? <laughs> That's the guy who shaped George Kittle's life. That's the guy that is going to make George Kittle possibly be one of the greatest tight ends in NFL history. That guy right there. Tag team champ. Dude, he was a legend. Speaks well, too. Maybe he could be in the WWE. He, I think he would be loved in the WWE, by the way. Good he character. would be loved in the WWE. Yeah. It's a lot of work, though. It seems like he's past the physical work Kicks part back, yeah. of his life, you know? Like, hey, it seems like their schedule's crazy, but if Vicious and Delicious want to get one... <laughs> <laughs> I love Pat Anger. I'm so thankful he joined us. Incredible, just relaxed conversation while he's midday at the credit union. For those of you that don't know much about Pat Anger, who is a teammate of mine, led the NFL in tackles for a year, was a second-round draft pick for the Indianapolis Colts as a middle linebacker. He's also just an outstanding human being. Here's a little throwback Thursday clip from the first time Pat Anger was on my show. I was hoping we'd talk about the naked locker room fight, but you can oh. we can save that for another time. I didn't know if you wanted me to bring it up well, or not. I, I didn't know if you wanted me yeah. to bring that up or not. Pat, it's a pretty funny deal. Pat Anger, big-time MMA guy, loves, like, he, mm-hmm. big-time tough grit guy, and he was involved in one of the most action-packed nude brawls I've ever seen in a locker room. <laughs> let's, let's hear about it. Yeah. If you'd like to yeah. talk about it, Pat, please go ahead. Yeah, so I walk in the locker room, and this is this is during my whole surgery thing. And this was, I think, I had three surgeries in one month, so I was just kind of pissed off. And I was about a month out of that, and I was just kind of mad. And I walk in the locker room, and Dwayne's talking to Free, and they're arguing. Dwayne Allen. And I'm like, yeah, and I like Dwayne. I don't want this to say any. I don't want this to be anything bad about Dwayne. Dwayne's a good guy. Um, but uh, you know, he's talking about Free. How he's the best tight end in the league, and all this shit. And I'm like, dude, shut up, man. And he goes, shut up, man. You don't even play. So I'm like, oh, shit, I got to punch this guy. <laughs> and, and, and he's 280 at the time, so I, I try to punch him. I don't think it even hits or does anything. And he tackles me, and everybody kind of comes on top of me. And I see it looks like his, like, arm's broken. And uh, so I come out the side, and I'm like, oh, shit. Well, it turns out he was in a he was in a towel when we started fighting and it wasn't his arm that was broken it was it was his big wiener <laughs> and the, the worst thing about it is you know i ended up with a black eye and herpes <laughs> luckily you didn't go for an arm bar there <laughs> yeah no shit <laughs> yeah. his dick had an elbow uh, did you white guys try you know, to shower I, together well I, I remember after you know after that you know everybody's kind of you know, it was kind of funny and blah, blah, blah. So I'm in the shower. I'm with Pat. It's like Pat was the only one that would talk to me after that. And uh, I'm like, he's like, you good? I'm like, yeah, man, I just don't want to get in trouble. And, you know, you looked at me. You looked at, like, my pathetic body and my tiny wiener. And we're like, no, nah, no, nah, you're good, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anthony Costanzo was naked as a motherfucker, too. He was trying to break it up. So it was Dwayne Allen, who was like two idiots at the time. Uh-huh. Anthony Costanzo had happened in his corner where he was. He just got out of the shower. He's six foot seven, 300 and probably 25, 30 pounds. And then you got a little mm-hmm. Pat Anger in there just throwing. <laughs> and it was just, it was literally a sea of naked humans. And I'm just like sitting in the middle of the locker room <laughs> looking at it like, who's going to break this up? <laughs> <laughs> Who? I want full disclosure. I had my clothes on. I want to go full, full disclosure. I, I was fully clothed. Oh, uh, see, you're just under yeah. all the nude. <laughs> But if I would have known, if I would have known it was going to be a naked thing, I would have made sure to drop my drawers prior to. You know? 
I'm now not... every time I get in a fight, I make sure I take my pants off. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pat, go fuck yourself. We got to get to a break. <laughs> hey, love you, brother. Hey, hey thanks for having me on, man. Hey, love you too, man. We need to talk to you soon. I love anger, man. Love him. I mean, and also, if you guys thought that you were going to get through these best ofs without an interview from an Iowa guy, you were sorely mistaken. Obviously, I had to throw him on there. But I, I've i loved Pat Anger for a long, long time. Um, he, he's almost kind of like a folk hero in Iowa, I want to say. Him and my older brother were the same age, and I remember uh, they were both in the playoffs at the time, different classes, but people talked a lot because Pat Anger played in the state championship with two or three broken vertebrae, I believe, and still had like 16 tackles. Guy's just an absolute fucking maniac. He was always one of my favorite players at Iowa. And, you know, again, same deal. I'd I'd never really heard him do an interview or anything like that. And it just so happens that him and Pat were tight. They were teammates, still buddies, still talk to each other. So we get lucky enough every once in a while, he'll give us a call from his job when he's working at the bank, you know, just trying to save some people money, trying to, uh, you know, help people with their mortgages. And he just comes with the fire every single time. Pat Anger, hilarious dude, doesn't take himself too seriously. He just, again, he's the best. He's the best. Hope you guys have enjoyed the shows I've put together this week. I know it's not quite the same without the, uh, the entire crew here. Obviously, Pat is irreplaceable, pretty hard to do that. But we will be back to regularly scheduled programming starting Tuesday. We're all going to be back from vacation. We got a bunch of new content, a bunch of new interviews. Um, I'm excited for it. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be nice. This recharge was much needed. Everybody kind of needed a break. Pat's probably put on 75,000 miles uh, flying in like the last three months, it seems like. So I'm glad he got a break. Thank you so much to everyone that listens. We really appreciate it. Let's do one more hashtag endgang, hashtag endgame. Again, send some tweets to Pat. Keep him company. Let him know whether or not you enjoyed the show. Again, if you want to go ahead and cut me down, you can. But with um, the great stuff that we've been putting out, I think it's pretty tough not to have an electric best of episode. Glad you guys are riding with us. We'll see you all on Tuesday. Once again, I'm going to hit the music myself.